Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He says, and, and keep your, say it with me, church, heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. If you go to the message paraphrase version of the scriptures, it says, keep diligent watch over your heart. That's where life starts. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else, for from it determine, for it determines the course of your life. Um, a fairly significant portion of our being, yes. Six hundred times in the old, over six hundred times in the Old Testament, over two hundred times in the New Testament, this term heart is used. Seventy-seven times in the Book of Proverbs alone. So this is a theme that weaves its way, not only throughout the Scriptures though, it weaves its way all, all throughout our culture and pop culture and our lives in general. I mean, just look at a few songs over the ages that have addressed the heart. And I'll try to hit a wide range of people here. So if you feel like chiming in, please do. Don't break my my achy breaking. I just don't think you understand, right? Okay, so Billy Ray talked about his achy breaking heart. Bonnie Taylor saying, Once upon a time I was falling in love, now I'm only falling apart. Nothing I can do, a total eclipse of the heart. Right. So, so we learn from Billy that the achy, breaky heart can be broken. And we learn from Bonnie Taylor that the heart can have an eclipse. Okay? It can have an eclipse. This one, Celine goes a little too high on me, so I'll just go spoken word on this near far. Wherever you are, believe that the heart will go on. So, so what we see from Celine is not only that the heart can be achy, breaky, broken, and that the heart can be eclipsed, but that the heart goes on. And we heard from the Eagles that we've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, even if, even if you don't love me anymore, right? Or help us. Well, since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. It was down at the end of lonely street. It's Where, 
when wisdom takes root in your life, it, it resides in, in your heart. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And I put that scripture up there to, to point out that many times in, in the scriptures we see these terms heart and soul intertwined. Jonathan Gardner says to, to Jonathan, I'm with you heart and soul. And he's not saying two different things. He's just reinforcing the entirety of my inner being is tracking with you. I'm, I'm in on this. So when you read the word soul in the scriptures, it's talking about our inner self, our, our inner dialogue, our, the motives, intentions, decisions, thoughts that we have. Jesus, uh, being a good rabbi, he taught on the prominence of the heart. He picked up on, on much of wisdom tradition, the Hebrew wisdom traditions, rhythms and themes, and here's what he said. He said, the good person, out of the good treasure of his or her heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, or evil heart, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the, say with me, church, heart, his mouth speaks. And so, so here's what Jesus is teaching. Here, here's what Solomon would say, he would echo as well. They think your heart your heart is soaking in something. And what you see on the, on the pages of your life, that what comes out in interactions, maybe with your kids, maybe with coworkers, that maybe just, it was that nobody else was looking, but when you were driving in the car, that person cut you off, and it was just, right? And, and your inner narrative was like, well, Denver's getting too crowded. It's a thousand people a month moving here, right? And it's somebody else's fault that you said some things or thought some things or maybe even did some things. No one else was there, but it's somebody else's fault, right? So here's what Jesus is teaching. That what you see happen on the pages of your life, what comes out of your mind, what comes out of your heart, uh, the manipulation that you try to use to control the people around you or the deep-seated fear that has this way of controlling you, he's going, hey, hey, Everything that shows up on the pages of your life is flowing from your inner self. It's flowing from, flowing from your heart. Which is really interesting and really troubling. Um, there was this psychologist a number of years ago, his name B.F. Skinner, and he proposed a theory that was called behavioral modification theory. And what he said, essentially, was that you can control your behavior by creating a system of either rewards or punishments. So you reward the things you want to see more and more of, and you punish the things that you want to get rid of. So, so essentially he's saying, all right, look at the water that's dripping off of your heart onto the pages of your life and, and work on that. I think both Solomon and Jesus would say that doesn't go nearly far enough. That, that the problem is is deeper than just behavioral modification, which is, is both maybe bad news at the onset, but, but I think it's actually really good news. Because how many of us have tried to curb our impatience and all we find is more ways that we need to be patient, right? And, and how many of us have tried to correct the way that we talk and we just find more and more things that we say that aren't in line with the spirits leading in our lives? And so what Jesus would say is everything he sees show up on the outside actually happens on the inside first. And if you want to 
change in your life, you've got to go after change in your heart. Solomon continues. He says this. Here's the, here's the really good news. We look up at him for a moment. You are not a prisoner to your heart. That empowered by God's spirit and carried by God's grace, you can actually step back from that control center of your life and speak truth and speak hope and speak health into it. That's why Solomon says, listen, keep your heart with all diligence, vigilance, vigilance, with all diligence, like fight for your heart. <coughs> why? Well, because a healthy heart always leads to a vibrant life. Because a healthy heart always leads to a vibrant life. The, the other side of that, the negative side of that coin, is a, a sick heart always leads to a sick life. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, though. So, a positive spin on it is a healthy heart always leads to a healthy life. And Solomon says, hey, there's some things that are at your disposal. When you, when you decide that you want to fight for the health of your heart because everything in your life flows from your heart, when you go, hey, I actually want to do battle for the health of my heart, he goes, all right, there's some things that are at your disposal in order to walk down that road. Verse 24, put away from you crooked speech. So the speech not only reflects, your speech not only reflects your heart, but it also has a bi-directional relationship with it, whereby when you say things, it cements them more and more in your heart. Put away devious talk from you. Let your eyes, so your eyes play a part in this, look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Think about where you walk. Think about what you do. Because all of it, all of it, has a bearing on what goes on inside your heart. And what goes on inside your heart has a bearing on everything in your life. So here's what I want to do this morning. In the remaining minutes that we have together, I, I want to do both diagnostic work on our hearts I want us to try to take a step back and go, what, what's going on on the inside of me? Because I don't think we can make enough space to step back far enough and quiet our hearts enough to actually figure out what's going on on the inside. I think most of us live a lot of our life on cruise control, me included, and we just are carried along by our hearts instead of fighting for them with vigilance, with passion. So I want to do some diagnostic work, but then I also want to do um, some training work to say, all right, how, how do we fight for our heart? What are, the, what are the ways that we fight for the health of our inner life? Because our inner life will always shape our outer life. All right, so you ready? Seriously? Two <laughs> of you, and I'm out of here. Blessed is the 
one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart falls into calamity. So, so here's what God or Proverbs is pointing out. There are going to be some times where what comes out of your heart and onto the pages of your life are things you don't like, are, are things that you don't want, are things that you're going to look at and you're going to go, yeah, no, I know that decision to lash out in anger. I know that decision to follow that path of lust. I know that decision to continue to walk in that way of addiction. I know it's not bringing me life and vitality and the things that I really want. And so Proverbs also wrestles, but what do, what do we do with that? What do we do when the heart reveals something that's dark? And he says, well, you have two things you can do. You can either conceal it, you can hide it, or you can, you can confess it. You can get it out there and go, this is, this is a part of me, not the outside of me, but this is a part of my heart and my, my soul. And he says, and when you confess, it brings about this cleansing, this life, this good that we all want. And so part of our soul care, part of our heart care, is that we would embrace this age-old Christian tradition of confession. That it would cleanse us, as King David will say, creating me a clean heart of God. After, after adultery, after walking down this path that, that you have met, I wish I never would have gone there, and this is dark, and this is painful. He doesn't blame anybody else. He goes, I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna, gonna to own this and ask God to create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. I think a lot of us who follow the way of Jesus, we have this recognition, this cognitive knowledge that we've been forgiven, and the slate's been wiped clean. And it always is wiped clean. And, and that's 100% true. And so we don't know what to do with this discipline of confession. We, we don't know where it fits because positionally we're already made right with, with God. So what do we need to confess for? Well, we need to confess for us, for our health, for our vitality, for our goodness. I think a lot of us, we think that our hearts function like self-cleaning fish tanks. Right? Where we just turn them on, and because of Jesus, because we're, we're good in his sight, quote unquote, that our lives are our lives are just clean. And our lives are are good. And there's no space to come before God and say, listen, there's some stuff in me that's pretty messed up. I think instead of our lives being like self-cleaning fish tanks, our, our lives are actually a little bit more like my couch. So, my wife had this idea. If I sell all of the furniture in our family room, we'll have to get new furniture. So, um, maybe passive-aggressive, you can talk to her about that afterwards, I'm not sure. Or you can get on Craigslist and help her out. Whatever you feel led to do, that's alright. So, she, I'm just kidding, we talked about it. So she sent me this picture this week, and she said, I lifted up the couch cushions on our couch. And look at what greeted me in our church. <laughs> now just a quick second, eyes off of the screen, look up at me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. If we went to your house, it wouldn't look this bad. It probably wouldn't look this bad. But I mean, there's an entire Michael's craft department under the cushions on my couch. 
privilege in the same way. Some of our hearts in the same way. And it shows up on the pages of our life, and we don't know what to do with it. Because we haven't taken the time to cultivate this discipline of confession. Here, here's why confession is beautiful. Let me give you just two quick reasons why confession is beautiful. Confession is beautiful because it reminds us that we have a platform to be honest. Then we have a platform to be honest. And did you know that, that God's expectation of you is not that you're perfect, but that you're honest? That you bring your brokenness to Him? That you allow the, the light of His goodness by the power of His Spirit to shine on it? And that we don't carry that stuff around in our life. But what the book of Proverbs would say is, hey, you can either you can either go in confession or you can conceal it. But if you want to conceal it, here's the thing. It's going to be really, really weighty in your life. And it's going to come out in a bunch of different areas. And confession reminds us we don't have to play religious games. We take time in our service to confess because we want to remind each other that if our expectation, even before God or before each other, is that we nail it every time, it's an unbiblical expectation. So built into the fabric and the fiber of our rhythm as a community is saying, hey, if you were to lift up the cushions on my couch, there would be a mess. And God is sufficient for that mess. Creates a platform, to be honest. Here's the second thing it does, is it creates a pathway home. Confession reminds us that like the father in the prodigal son story, God is not holding things against us and waiting for the perfect speech in order to say, now you can't come home. What confession reminds us of is that the road is always open and the decision is ours. I love the way that the offbeat often pushes the bounds of theology a little bit Theologian Robert Barker Poem puts it. Here's what he says. He says, Confession is not a transaction to, or not a negotiation in order to secure forgiveness. It is an after the last gasp of a corpse that finally can afford to admit it's dead and accept resurrection. Forgiveness surrounds us, it beats upon us all our lives. Only to wake ourselves up to what we already have. Yes. Yes. I'm trying to pry something out of God's hands. We're remembering that there's a pathway, always a pathway home. So we would be saying, I'm running into your arms, welcomed into the arms of majesty. It's a confession, God. I've wandered in. There's a pathway home. It creates a platform, to be honest, and it creates pathway home. And so we can, we can say in the course of our lives as we've sung and as we've said this morning, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I think one of the things David's saying is, I'm good at lying to myself. I'm so good at playing the game that there's times where I fool even me. So will you do like a good surgeon? Will you do some, some work on me? Will you point out for me if there's ways that are off, if there's ways that I've gotten crooked, if, there's, if I'm out of sync with your rhythms of grace in your world, will you point that out to me, God? Because I want to home. I want to get back. And see if there be any grievous way in me and 
has been. Thank God, when you look, there's going to probably be some stuff that's a little bit messed up. When you see that, lead me in the way everlasting. See, a healthy heart leads to a vibrant life, and, and the first step to any heart getting healthy is confession, is, is cleansing, remembering that there's a platform to be honest, and there's a pathway to Here's the way that Solomon continues in the Proverbs. Here's what he says. He says, a joyful heart is good medicine. So he's echoing the same idea, right? When, you're, when your heart's healthy, when your heart's joyful, it impacts and trickles down to every part of you. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. This is a, a Hebrew parallelism where on, on one line it says a very similar thing as it does on the line that follows. But this time he shifts it. He goes, all right, when your heart dries up, your bones dry up also. Your body follows your heart. When the heart's full, it heals every part of you. When the heart's sick, it crushes you. So it would beg us to ask the question, how do we have a full heart? How do we have a strong heart? How do we not only cleanse the heart, but how do we, how do we feed the heart? Because soul food isn't just fried chicken and hush puppies. It's actually something that we hear from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus will say that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then he'll turn around and say just a few chapters later, I am the bread of life. So, so your soul needs to feed on, on him. Your soul needs to feed on the one who created the deep the author of it all. You may have noticed, you may have noticed that there are times in your life where your heart feels really strong and really healthy and you like what's coming out of it. And then like a few hours later you say something or do something that makes you feel like you're schizophrenic. Is anybody with me? That the heart needs this ongoing attention. It's, here's the thing, your heart is sort of high maintenance. It needs a lot of care. It needs a lot of attention. And it's part of the way that we're wired. If you're um, into modern psychology, here's what they're finding. They're finding that um, negative words have a sticky factor in your brain that causes them to adhere to your soul in a way where you have a really hard time forgetting them. And that positive things are like Teflon. They just slip right off of you. And so, if we're going to speak truth over our heart, over our soul, and we want good things to continue to come out of it, we've got to pay attention to the strength of our heart, the food that we're feeding it, the way that our self-talk is shaping or aligning us with the truth of Scripture, or if we're believing the lie of the Satan, which is the, who is the accuser, and taking us further and further away. Because these things are, these truths are slippery. They don't they don't just stick naturally. They have a way of wearing off. The, the inner parts of our being are fragile. They're delicate. They need tending to. So, so let me just give you, I want to give you three ways to dive into the heart and soul food that is available to you because of who God is. So, so just, here's three ways. If 
51, here's the quote-unquote to-do this week. First, here's what we have to do. If we want to have a strong heart and a strong soul, we have to. We have to dwell long enough to delight. If you want a, a, a full heart, as the scriptures will describe it, we've got to position the gaze of our soul long enough to, to see the God who created us, who spoke all of your existence, who calls us his own. So the psalmist will say in Psalm 27, verse 4, that I love to gaze upon your beauty and your majesty in your sanctuary. Paul, the apostle Paul, writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, that we all are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we gaze upon the beauty of our Lord. Friends, this is not a sort of pop this in the microwave and push a few buttons and hope it comes out the way that we want it to come out. It's a disciplined, God, I'm going to gaze on you long enough to be captivated by you because the direction of my dwelling, or what I dwell in, will always determine the content of my delight. What I dwell in, what captures the gaze of my heart, will always determine the content of my delight, which is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Like, dwell long enough to, to find Him beautiful, to find Him good. So, like, maybe for you, it's go on a walk on the Highline Canal. You live in Colorado. Praise Jesus for that. Um, maybe it's you host a great dinner with some good friends, and it points you back to God. Maybe it's you spend time in the scriptures, and you ask God not just to read his scriptures, but to let his scriptures read you. Because the direction of your gaze will always determine the content of your delight. Maybe this week it's just, yeah, I'm just, I just need to carve out time to, to meet with him, to dwell in him. Here's the second thing. So we dwell long enough to delight, strengthens our heart and our soul, but we listen long enough to hear love. The Spirit of God lives inside of me. One of the rules of the Spirit of God, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 5, is to pour out the love of God into your hearts. There's an objective dimension of that where you can read about it in the scriptures and know that it's true. But there's an all-important subjective dimension of that where you sit with it and you ask God to enlighten it and enliven it in your soul to the point where you can actually hear Him saying it. Because if you hear me say it, that's one thing. If you hear Him say it, that changes everything. Everything. And so, along with the Apostle Paul, we go, all right, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, he says, according to the riches of his God's glory, that he might grant you to be strengthened. This is soul food. Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, in your innermost parts, that you might be built up. And he says, he says, okay. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love, they have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. That's not happening by coming and attending a 
church service on a Sunday morning or just reading a few verses each day. That happens when we bring our souls into the presence of God and say, God, speak. Speak a better word over my life. As the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, will say that, to, that we would be strengthened by his grace. Paul will echo the same thing to Timothy. Be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. These are slippery truths, friends. And unless we discipline our souls to actually soak in them, they'll never transform us. So if the first practice is we dive into the scriptures and let them read us and we read them, maybe, maybe the practice of letting love, listening long enough to actually hear love is done in silence, it's done in solitude, depending on your personality, it may be done in singing, declaration. What is it that feeds your affection for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It's your soul. And then finally, so we dwell long enough to the life, we listen long enough to your love, and we rest long enough to recharge. See, because here's the thing. There's sometimes in our life where, like, what shows up on the pages of our life are, are things that we need to confess and we need to take before God, and they're, they're just, they're not nice. And, and there's other times where our heart is full, and what we see coming out of our life are things like gratitude and things like joy and things like fighting for the good of others and justice-centered endeavors. There's, there's things that come out of our life that, that are really, really good. And then there's other seasons where we squeeze and we go, man, I'm just I'm exhausted. And, and I'm trying. I'm trying to build into my family. I'm, I'm, my heart is there. Like, I, I want to be good to my coworkers. I want to I lead well. I want to be the type of family member that builds into the lives of others. But, but aren't there other times where your heart just feels like it's just drying up? And we think just a little pause will do it. But built into the fabric of walking with Jesus is this beautiful invitation for Sabbath that we would take time to say, man, my, my intentions are good, my desires are good, but I've got nothing to give. And so I, I just, I need to rest long enough to actually have something to deliver to people around. Because if our inner life is always a reflection of our outer life, and it always shows up on the pages of our life, if our heart is dry, what we're giving to the people around us is also heart has nothing in it, even if our intentions are good, we're delivering nothing to the people around us. And so we, we listen long enough to hear love, we dwell long enough to delight, and we rest long enough to say, all right, I heard the voice of God say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And, and I've sat there for long enough have something to give to the people around me. I've been accused of being overly positive, taking the positive angle on things, and that's fair. I probably am. But if 
the, the other thing that I see sneak in every once in a while is, is idolatry and pride. And those are sort of the Trojan forces of the spiritual life here and idolatry. They get in and from the inside out start to destroy the thing that all of our life flows from. And so, friends, we, we believe that, that the vibrancy and fullness abundance of our life is determined by the health of our heart. So we confess and we cleanse. Uh, so we, we feed and we grow and we protect and we think about what we're thinking about. We had just gotten off the plane on our way back from Florida vacation this year. And, um, we had been asked by Kelly's parents to bring home this um, golf club. It was really, it's a monstrosity. It barely fit in our van. This um, golf carrying case that's like 12 feet tall and 30 feet wide. Anyway, so it was theirs and they paid for it in the airport in Orlando and, um, and they gave us the receipt. And so we were there at the gate or at the um, pickup area, United's pickup area, uh, after our baggage had come off. And I saw the golf club carrying case sitting there. And I went up to, it seemed like a nice lady at the time. Um, and I said, hey, that's our, that's our golf uh, carrying case, and we just need to grab it so we can go home and please Jesus. And she said, well, do you have any, the, the other side of the ticket stuff? I'm like, well, no, we don't have the other side of that stuff, but we do have this receipt here that's for that golf case. And she goes, well, if you don't have the other side of the stuff, I can't give you those golf clubs. And internally, I'm thinking to myself, woman, do you understand how many things would have needed to go right? For me to be holding the receipt to that golf club carrying case right there, standing here telling you whose name is on it, that the amount of coincidences that are necessary for me to be holding this receipt, telling you whose name is on that golf club carrying case, it is impossible. That was what was going on in my head. And what went on in my body was, she turned to look the other way, and I walked back behind the ropes, and I just took that golf club carry again. And I start to walk out, and she, she turns into Vaughn Miller on the goal line. And she's standing in front of me, right? It's united, so I'm not sure what she's going to do to me.
Oh, 